This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au This morning, uh, I need to announce that after four and a half years of solid commitment as both our chairperson and our treasurer, fulfilling both of those two roles, Ben Hodgkinson is taking a much-needed break and is stepping down from that position. Um, so I just wanted to take a moment to, to thank Ben, and I hope he's here. Is, is Ben here this morning down the front? Of course he's here. It's budget Sunday. This is it's like Benny's grand final this Sunday. Um, you know, Anchor was a dream that we'd had a number of years ago, and um, I remember sitting on the beach at Shoal Bay with Benny many, many, many New Year's Eve ago, dreaming and talking about planting this church. Uh, ben and Jess were our, uh, Jess is Benny's wife. Um, they were our first core team members. They were the first people who agreed to come on this crazy dream of planting a church with us. Um, and Ben has been invested in a really significant way since even before Anchor was even a thing. Um, and so Ben has been faithfully leading a growing board of operations team. We've now got six of us on that team. It really just started with myself and, and Ben in the early days, and we've slowly been growing to that team and adding to that team as this church has grown. And, and Ben has led that team really well. And honestly, it is the most organized and precise team we have. And so it should be as they're uh, stewarding the finances and, and legal property, all of those things are for us as a church family. Um, Benny has stewarded our finances so well. Honestly, you can ask him any question. I guarantee he'll be able to tell you where everything is, every dollar, where it is, what's happened to it. And I challenge you, ask him anything you want at the AGM today and he will have an answer for it. Um, I'm confident of that because I've seen the way that Ben has managed and stewarded our finances well. He's thorough. He has attention to detail. Um, he is honestly, this has been like a part-time job on top of his already busy accountancy work and being a a new dad and married to Jess and family life. Ben has put in some weeks, upwards to 20 to 25 hours on top of all of that load to serve you. Uh, So there are very few people who aren't on the payroll who serve at that type of capacity week in, week out. Uh, And you guys probably have never seen anything of what Ben has done. It's all on spreadsheets. And until you come to the AGM, that's the one time a year where you get to see the brilliance of Benny Hodge in action. Uh, But for the most part, you don't see that. Um, And I bet you none of you lose sleep over the finances of Anchor. I certainly haven't. And that's because our finances have been in such safe and trustworthy hands. And so... Benny, we want to thank you, bro. You have poured yourself out into this church. You've served us well. You've stewarded well. You've loved this church family. And I want to thank you for your investment. I thank you for your time. Uh, Along with Jess, who has made the sacrifices of you, working late at night and running board meetings. Um, So, brother, we're so thankful for you. You deserve a well-earned break. And I want to invite Benny up. Now, we've got a a small gift for you, so you're going to have to come up the side stage here. But as he does... Can we just give Benny a massive round of applause and thank him for what he has done? It's, um, it's really actually hard to understate the significance and importance of what Benny has done. And so uh, we just want to um, say this is just a really small token of our appreciation. We really value you. We love you. And thank you. And enjoy these little treats in here. Thank you, mate. Late at night. So um, let's give Benny another big round of applause. Thank you. 
Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Oh, that bag's broken as well. Look out. You don't want to drop that package. But um, replacing Ben, um, he, he's been sitting in two positions as both chairman and treasurer of our board of operations. And because that is really just too much work for one person, we've, um, and because Anchor has grown over the last few years, we've needed to replace Ben with two people. And I'm pleased to announce this morning that replacing Ben as chairman of the board of operations is Chris Quox. So can I get you to stand up, Chris? Thank you, Chris, for being willing to step into that role. And replacing Ben as treasurer is Pete Roberts. And I think Pete's sitting over here somewhere. Stand up for us, Pete. None of these guys really want to stand up, but thank you. Both Chris and Pete bring a wealth of experience to this role. This is not new for them. They've done this kind of stuff in the past. They're both uh, working in the corporate world, have a, a vast wealth of experience. And so Anchor will continue to be in good hands under the leadership of Chris and Pete. So thank you guys for being willing to step into those roles and can serve our church. It's a really significant role for us. Uh, and one of the areas where we really value financial transparency. So I don't know if you realize this, but no staff member at Anchor can touch, write a check, pay money at all. All of that is done by our board of operations as a measure of accountability and transparency. And so that's why these roles are really, really significant for us. So thank you guys for that. Um, I think that's it in terms of budget and board of ops. And so I'm just going to pause now and pray and give thanks for Ben and for Chris and Pete and for your generosity. Um, that's a lot to take in, but I've got a whole lot more for us. So let me, let me pray for us. Father God, I want to thank you um, so much that you have blessed us abundantly and richly and beyond really what we deserve. I thank you for Ben. I thank you for his hard work, his labor, his late nights, his number crunching. I just thank you, God, that he has stewarded that role so well. Thank you that he's been faithful. I thank you that he has been trustworthy with what you've entrusted to him. We praise you for him, God. We thank you for his service. And we pray that you would bless him. We pray that you would bless their family. We ask that you'd bless Jess and Joey. We pray that um, as Benny rests and steps into a new role at work, that you'd I just pour your blessing out on that family, that you'd strengthen them, that you'd help them to continue to walk in holiness and Christ-likeness. Um, yeah, Father, we, we're just so thankful for them. Words are hard to express how, how much they've done for our church. We love them, Lord. Thank you for Chris and Pete who have stepped into those roles. And we pray that you'd continue to bless our church with great leadership, men and women who would be willing to make sacrifices who are trustworthy, who are faithful. We thank you that Chris and Pete are both of those things. God, we pray that you would continue to help us to be a church that is generous, that sows into this kingdom vision that we have for our city. I thank you for the generosity of your people in this last month, and I pray that you'd continue to help us to not just worship you with our lips and not just give of our time, but worship you with our finances as well. And so we pray that you would continue to be faithful to us and us to be faithful towards you. And we ask it in the powerful name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, as Hope mentioned this morning, we're looking at the topic of elders. And this morning's talk, I kind of want to cast in two directions. One is I want to really speak quite specifically and pointedly to the qualifications of an elder. But the second is I also want to cast a broader net in really this stuff really translates to any form of leadership at all. 
And as I was thinking about leadership, particularly world-changing leaders, the leader that came to mind for me was one of my heroes, one of uh, the, the people who has so shaped and defined my country of origin, and that is Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela, who um, was falsely imprisoned for many years during the apartheid regime in South Africa, and then became South Africa's first black prime minister and president. Uh, And in such a significant and historic moment, Nelson Mandela called that country towards racial reconciliation. And the reason that he was so significant and so successful in doing what he has done, and yes, it's still a a broken country with deep divisions, but one of the reasons that Mandela was so successful in his call for racial reconciliation was that his belief and his behavior lined up. Here is a man who walked the journey of reconciliation himself, being reconciled with the very men that falsely tried him and imprisoned him. In fact... Mandela made very wise policy choices as a prime minister. The head of his bodyguard, he didn't surround himself with with black men as his bodyguards. He put as the head of his bodyguard unit a white man as a very strong symbol of I'm building around me people who I trust, but people of both racial groups as a sign and demonstration of reconciliation. Mandela was a man who walked what he talked, he practiced, what he preached. And he has had not just significant impact on the nation of South Africa, but global impact. People have looked up to him and held him up as a world-changing leader. And one of the characteristics is the characteristic of integrity. Now, he had a bunch of other leadership characteristics in spades, but the key one that he had was integrity, a leader of integrity. And I want to suggest that that's no different for leaders in God's church, and in particular for elders. Now that word elder, is a, it's, it's a weird word. We don't really use it today outside of church circles. And it doesn't mean an old person. As you read through the Bible and you read the word elder, it doesn't mean elderly or old person. Elder in the Bible is synonymous with pastor or overseer or presbyter or even bishop. All of those words are synonymous with each other and used interchangeably in the New Testament to speak of this one office in the church, the office of an elder. And we believe here at Anchor that the local church is governed autonomously by a plurality of elders. So we're an independent church governed by a plurality of elders, more than one elder. And there's been a problem that we've had for a number of years in that I have been the only elder of this church. And today is a really significant step towards appointing elders as we nominate a few people for that. And so some of you might have, that might have been a surprise for you this morning as Hope announced that we're going to be nominating people as that was announced this week. But there's been a lot of work happening behind the scenes as we've been working towards this. Uh, And today really is a significant moment for us as a church, a moment of celebration, uh, because we don't feel like we've been doing what God has called us to do in operating as a church with a singular elder. That is me being the only elder at our church. And so I'm really excited this morning to nominate and announce two candidates for you to assess as potential elders for our church. And so I'm going to ask those guys to come up now. I'm going to ask both Brad Koneman and Seti Latu to join me on stage. Again, you guys are going to have to come up the side here. And so let's give these guys a round of applause as they come up. 
Both Brad and Seti have demonstrated to me um, both the character and the conviction and the competency towards being nominated as elders. Brad is married to Catherine. They have two children. He is a much more known quantity to you guys. He's been on staff here since day one, recently finished four years at Moore College last year, and has come on full-time this year as our gospel community's pastor, um, and has such a significant leadership role in our church over these last few years. Um, And so we're really thankful that Brad has uh, willingly put his hand up for this significant position of eldership. The second is Seti. And some of you may not know Seti as well as Brad. He's not on staff here. And that's a really important thing for us, which I'll explain a little bit later on. Seti is married to Louisa. They have six kids. Uh, They live in Irwood. And Seti has um, also done his theological studies at Moore College, spent 12 years uh, in vocational ministry in the Anglican Church, so Canterbury, Arncliffe, and St. Peter's Anglican Churches, and is presently working as a prison chaplain at Long Bay Jail, um, and uh, has preached for us in the past. And so uh, we, are, we are super, super thankful that both Brad and Seti have willingly put their hands up uh, to be nominated towards this position. And really what this is about is we want to say to you, church... Eldership is really significant, and we care about the character of the leaders in this church. And so along with Seti and Brad, myself as well, we want to give you an opportunity to assess whether or not you think that these two guys, along with myself, would make good leaders and good elders for our church. And this morning, I want to give you an assessment criteria for that. I want to give you a number of characteristics and qualities to look for, and offer you 30 days as a church to give expression to whether or not we ought to appoint Brad and Seti as elders in our church. Now, that might be things that uh, you want to encourage and affirm in them. They may also be concerns that you've seen, concerns that you've seen in their life that you want to um, speak to. And so, look, this is a really significant thing. It takes a lot of courage to put yourself forward, to put your life forward and say, examine my life and speak to whether or not you think we would be suitable elders for this church. It's a significant, significant step to do. And I want to thank both of these brothers for being willing to do that. And I also want to include myself in that. It's slightly different for me because I am already appointed as an elder by virtue of planting the church. And so you can't really speak into whether or not I should be appointed as an elder. But you can speak into whether or not I shouldn't be. And so I want to, I want to put myself in with these two, two brothers and say, assess us. And if you see anything in us that does not line up, if you see behavior where our beliefs and our behavior do not match, we want you to speak to that. We want you to call that out, and we want to demonstrate what repentance and godliness looks like in that. And so this morning really is about that. So can we thank Brad and Seti for taking a big, bold step and putting themselves forward? Thank you, guys. Appreciate you both. And so as we come to assessing what elders look like, there's a really key, important question we need to ask, and that is, what are we looking for? What are we looking for as we look to assess elders. Um, Because it's not really like, you know, your your year six school captain thing, which is really just a popularity contest, right? Whoever is the most popular kid in year six gets appointed as school captain. Whoever runs the most successful campaign. That's not what appointing church leaders looks like. And so what are we looking for? Well, we're looking for character. We're looking for competency. We're looking for a clear call towards this. And so this morning, I want to give you um, a number of characteristics that the Scriptures give us towards 
eldership. And I want to give you a framework for assessing us and speaking into our lives and speaking into our suitability for leadership. So with that in mind, I'm going to pray again and we're going to look at Titus chapter 1 together. So would you join me as I pray? Father God, we thank you for the leaders that you have blessed our church with. Such wonderfully significant, godly, gifted men and women. I thank you in particular for Brad and for Seti and for their willingness to put their hands up as candidates for eldership. And I pray for wisdom for our church as we think about appointing these two brothers. Grant us wisdom. Help us to know what to look for. God, our desire is our church would be healthy. Our desire is our church would be shepherding and teaching and caring for this flock well. Our desire is that we would be an effective church that would see the name of Jesus made famous across this city. And we know that leadership is so crucial to that. And so we pray, Father, for your wisdom, the guidance of your spirit in this. We pray that you would speak to us now as we look at Titus chapter 1 and examine what it looks like to be a leader in God's church. And I pray for every single person here this morning who is in a position of leadership, that all of us would think about our lives, that they matter, that our belief and our behavior need to line up. And Father, we pray for the Blues tonight that they would also win. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. You know, Titus is a book. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. There's is, a lot riding on it for me. I may have to wear a Queensland jersey if we win. The book of Titus is about godliness, is about character, is about faith working itself out in practice. And I think the central verse to the book of Titus is that verse in chapter 2, verse 11, where Paul says that it is the grace of God that trains us and equips us to live lives that are able to say no to ungodliness and yes to righteousness as we await the appearing of Jesus. It is the grace of God that practically works itself in our lives, that helps us to say no to ungodliness and yes to Christ-likeness. And really, that's what Titus is about. That's what Paul says in Titus chapter 1, verse 1. As he introduces this letter, he says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Paul sees that the very purpose of this role that he has is that truth, genuine faith, would be worked out in character, in Christ-likeness, in God-like character. And there ought to be no gap between belief and behavior, irrespective of where you are on the leadership spectrum. Leader or not, that's true of every person. We need to walk the walk. Now, that's true of every single disciple of Jesus it's even more so true of leaders in God's church. And a healthy church is a church where its leaders are following Jesus and walking after him in Christ-like ways, modeling godliness, where the fruit of the Spirit is evident in their lives. And so this morning, I want you to listen with two ears. One ear for our prospective elders, but the other ear for yourself. Maybe you're a gospel community leader, a small group leader, a kids' church leader, a youth group leader. Maybe you're a part of the, the band that leads us in corporate worship. Maybe you're a leader on the prayer team. Whatever position of leadership you're in, think about this from your perspective as well. So the book of Titus is written to Titus. Who is Titus? Verse 4 tells us that he is a true son in the faith. 
Chances are he's one of Paul's converts, that Paul preached the gospel, that Titus got saved under his ministry. We know that he is of Greek background. We know that from Galatians chapter 2. We know that he is on Paul's missionary team, traveling with Paul as they preach the gospel and plant churches. We know that he's been involved in the mission to the church in Corinth. We know that from 2 Corinthians 8. Titus is a strong and trustworthy leader. And he is left with the task of administering the financial offering that is taken from the church in Corinth back to the church in Jerusalem, as well as sorting out some of the mess and the issues that are occurring in that church. That was a messy church. He's also appointed with the responsibility of establishing leaders, elders in the church in Crete. Now, unlike Timothy, the book of Timothy, Titus is a no-nonsense letter. Timothy needed lots of encouragement and stirring and reminders to be courageous. Titus, on the other hand, doesn't need that. He's a strong, capable leader. He is given much responsibility. And in many respects, Titus could be seen as, as a bit of an intervention, crisis intervention specialist. He walks into difficult church situations. He seeks to help that church change direction, appoint leaders, sort out mess. He's given responsibility of administering finances. He's a key leader in Paul's mission team. And as Paul and Titus visited this church here on the island of Crete, it was a new church plant. And the Cretans claimed that the worship of the gods originated with them. That the gods were, in fact, elevated Cretans. That they worshipped them. And the religion for them was not so much about truth, but was more about Zeus and the pantheon of Greek gods that they would worship. It's a culture that is known for greed and wealth and prosperity and gain. And it's into this messy context that Paul says to Titus, you need to appoint leaders in the church. You need to appoint faithful, godly leaders. This is what it says. Paul says to Titus in chapter 1, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might appoint and put what remained into order and appoint leaders Sorry, and point elders in every town as I directed you. So into this messy church context, Paul leaves his trusted servant Titus to sort this mess out, to oppose the false teaching that is existing, and to establish and appoint leaders in the church. And so what are they to look for? What is Titus to look for as he examines the church in, in Crete? What is he looking for in leaders? Is he looking for a degree? Perhaps a theological degree, that would be hard since there were no Bible colleges in the first century. Maybe he's looking for experience. Maybe he's just looking for the oldest person in the room who could you know, exercise some leadership. Maybe he's looking for charisma, a good communicator. What is the criteria that Titus has as he seeks to look for and appoint elders? You know, If you were to jump on any job ad website these days, you know, maybe seek.com or something, and you were to look through the job description and the, the criteria that they're looking for in a job ad, you would never see the things that Paul tells Titus to look for. You know, a typical job ad, you're looking for team player and, you know, a self-starter and a good communicator and a, someone who works well with others and, you know, experience in this area. Titus is instructed to open the front door and to look into the family home and examine someone's life. That just doesn't, that, I mean, that doesn't even get into a job interview generally. This is a very different metric and criteria for leaders. And so, church, this is how you assess us. 
This is how you assess Brad and Seti and myself as to whether or not we're suitable leaders in God's church. And so Titus is going to, Paul is going to give Titus a number of significant qualities and criteria. And I don't have time to unpack them all because there's 16 of them here. So what I've done is I've written a 40-page document that unpacks all of these things in great detail so that you know more than just this sermon on Sunday exactly what we're looking for when it comes to leaders and elders in God's church. I'm going to post that on our family page. You can download it and read it. There's a whole bunch of information in there about what eldership looks like. Bigger than just the qualifications, but there's a large section in there about what type of people we're looking for. So the first thing you notice there is the character of a leader. The second will be the call of a leader. But the character of the leader is first and foremost. Twice, in verse 6 and 7, Paul will say to Titus, you are to look for people who are above reproach. They are to be blameless. Now, that doesn't mean they're faultless or perfect. That means they need to be free from accusation, free from blame, free from people saying to them, actually, I see their life and I've got a whole list of things that I could hold against this person. That means that leaders need to, we need to see and experience a level of maturity. We need to see a bunch of fruit of the Spirit in their life. We need to see character and godliness. And this term above reproach is kind of like a blanket term that covers all of these characteristics that Paul is about to give Titus to look for. And really, he has a focus in two areas. The first is there to be above reproach in marriage and family. And secondly, there to be above reproach in behavior and conduct. Above reproach in marriage and family, above reproach in behavior and conduct. So have a look at marriage and family first, verse 6. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. The first characteristic there is he is to be the husband of one wife. He is to be a one-woman man. An elder needs to be faithful to his wife. Not a porn addict, not an adulterer, not a player, but a faithful husband. or Literally, a one-woman man. Secondly, his children, likewise, are to be faithful. And the ESV translates there that they are to be believers, but it's probably better that they're to be faithful children. And again, this is a opening the front door and looking into the family and watching how these guys lead their families, how they discipline their children, how they nurture and shepherd their families. Leaders and pastors are to be people who would have children who love Jesus, who aren't wild and disobedient. And the key issue here is what Paul is getting is that if, if a person can't lead their own family, if they can't lead their own home, then how are they going to lead the broader family of God? The idea is if they've been faithful with this small group of people that they're to shepherd, then they can be entrusted with a larger group of people to shepherd and care for it's what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. He says this. Again, speaking of elders, he says he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? A leader must be above reproach in their family. 
A number of years ago, I led on and, and directed and ran a number of youth camps for uh, a large camping organization called Anglican Youth Works, and we ran two annual camps each year, and a lot of these camps were filled with pastor's kids, with PKs, teenage kids who would come on these camps, mum and dad would send them off, amazing camps, they were so good, but I can't tell you the amount of times that I had conversations, particularly with young, young boys, teenage boys, who resented the church in fact, hated the church, resented their fathers, and were on the verge of stepping out and walking away from Jesus altogether. That shouldn't be the case. And I'm so thankful that I've been able to serve with and sit under godly leaders and be friends with their sons who are still walking with Jesus, who still love Jesus, who are serving in the church. That's a really key consideration for what it looks like to be a leader. Now, to be honest with you, that freaks me out. That freaks me out. I don't know about Brad and Seti, but that is a significant call. But you ought to judge us, not so much on what happens on this platform, but what happens in our homes. That means for those of you who attend our gospel communities and come and eat food off our tables, you're some of the most equipped people to speak into our lives. Because you've seen us discipline our children. You've seen us talk to our wives. You've hopefully seen us model what repentance looks like. The assessment criteria for an elder is the family home. Marriage, children, and family. The second area that leaders are to be above reproach is that of their behavior and conduct. And Paul will list five negative criteria and six positive criteria here. So firstly, this is what an elder should not be like. Verse 7. For an overseer or elder or bishop or pastor, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Not arrogant, not overbearing, not pushy and bossy, easy to work with. Not quick-tempered. The leaders in God's church, irrespective of elder or small group leader or band leader, we are not to be quick-tempered people, losing the plot, short fuses, anger erupting out of us. Not to be the people who are constantly road-raging, picking fights, uh, Facebook arguments where you're just offending every single person on the face of the planet because of what you say. Your character matters. Your online presence matters. All of those things are really important. Not a drunkard, it says there. It's not good enough for a leader to preach a sermon on a Sunday and then go home and get drunk. It's not good enough. I used to say to my youth leaders, you cannot turn up on a Friday night and call teenagers to walk in holiness and then on Saturday night be blind drunk at a party. That's a contradiction. Leaders are not to be drunkards, so much more those who are entrusted with leading the church. Not to be violent. And that's not just physical violence there, but it's predominantly physical violence. Especially in the home. Gosh, wasn't that a revealing uh, piece of journalism that came out last year from Julia Baer that demonstrated that there are a number of pastors who have used teaching in the scriptures to be violent towards their wives and trap them in unhealthy marriages. That is a disqualification for leadership. You cannot be a violent man. Shepherds are tender and gentle. They care for the flock. They protect. They're not to be pursuing dishonest gain. 
as the church is not the avenue for you to line your pockets and take a few extra tires on the top. and That's not even gain for your own ego, for your own platform. Leadership is about servanthood. That is what leaders are not to be like. Rather, Paul says, this is what they should be like. Verse 8, they must be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Hospitable. If you've never been into our home, I want you to know you're welcome. We want to be hospitable. And we've, we have people in our home every week. And we've, we've known people who have made this a really key metric for their leaders in their church, for their elders in their church. In fact, so much so that if they don't see a consistent pattern of hospitality, they will call their leaders and pastors on matters of church discipline because it's so significant. And I think that's true. In a context where we value family, I mean, that's, that's a big thing for us. We don't want to be hypocrites that say, Church is family, but you're not welcome in our homes because that's my own private palace that I live in and avoid all of you people because life is too messy when I engage with you, right? That's not what a pastor's like. We eat meals together. We open our table. We share food together. In fact, one of the memories I have uh, as, a, as a young leader myself is um, spending many, many Sunday afternoons around the table of Ray and Jenny Fasalo and actually Pastor Ray is here this morning eating these triangle bread rolls with cold meat. And there are so many people who ate those triangle bread rolls with cold meat off their table because they modeled for us what it looked like to be hospitable. We need to have open homes, hospitality, lovers of what is good. That is such a significant theme in the book of Titus, and particularly so for leaders. Seven times Paul will say that we are to love what is good, teach what is good, be devoted to what is good. Titus is to set an example in doing what is good. Leaders, and particularly elders, ought to love what is good. Not do good out of a sense of duty, but love what is right and is good. We're not to love the things of this world and pursue our sinful passions and desires. We're to love what God loves. We're to be self-controlled, upright, holy, You ought to be able to see Christ-like character in leaders. Every single leader in our church ought to be able to stand before the team that they lead, the people that they oversee, and say this, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. Not out of a sense of pride, not out of a sense of, I've got this all together, my life is perfect. Hopefully you're modeling your own brokenness, you're being vulnerable, you're showing what repentance looks like. But... I'm demonstrating for you what it looks like to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Holiness, Christ-likeness, disciplined. Leaders ought to be disciplined. Now, it probably took me a number of times to read it before I recognized that this one was there. Leaders ought to be disciplined. Disciplined in our use of time. Disciplined in our... Uh, exercising our freedom around alcohol, disciplined in our exercise, disciplined with food, disciplined in our use of social media even. Disciplined. Now, as you read through that list of you know, things that leaders shouldn't be like and should be like, what surprises you? As you read through there, you'll notice that all of those things are about character. All of those things are about a leader's character. There's nothing on there yet about what a leader does. 
about his competencies, about his gifts and his skills and his charisma and his communication. There's nothing there yet. It's all about character. And that's because leadership in God's church is about character long before it's about charisma. It's about godliness long before it's about giftedness. And we value, giftedness is important, right? We value giftedness. Leadership is a gift that God gives. It's an important criteria for leaders. But it is a distant second to character and godliness. You might be the most phenomenally gifted, capable leader in the world, but if there is a giant gap between what you believe and how you behave, you're not fit for leadership in God's church. This is about character. But why? Why why these qualities? Why is it so focused on a, a leader's character? Well, the answer is if you want to be a good leader, you need to be a good follower. And in particular, in the church, you need to be a good follower of Jesus. You see, all of these things that Paul lists here, they're all things that every Christian is called to do. They're all things that Jesus expects of every single person who follows Jesus and calls him Lord and Savior. But leaders ought to exemplify these things. Leaders ought to be above reproach in these areas. Leadership is a public affair. There is no private and public dichotomy to a church leader's life. We lead by living. Our lives are on display. You know, there's a lot of um, media that happens around footy players, particularly rugby league players. They seem to often be the worst offenders of um, just horrible things that they do. Drug abuse, womanizing, fights, violence, and it's constantly in the media. And the media is saying, these players should not act like this. How dare they act like this? That would never happen in any other industry. Imagine the corporate industry calling out and fining people because they had a loose Friday night. Which is, I, mean, would never, I mean, the corporate industry fuels that kind of stuff. It's like, Friday night drinks, let's go, you know, and that would just never happen. But why does it happen with rugby league players and sports personalities? Because they're role models to our kids. Because their lives matter. We want our kids to look up to these people and not mimic and imitate what they do. Maybe we want them to imitate their sporting prowess, but not their everything else that happens to go along with it. And the same is true for leaders. There is no private, person, uh, private public dichotomy in the life of a leader. We lead by our lives. And as cliches as it sounds, we lead by example. We lead by example. That's what it looks like to lead in God's church. And the higher you go in your level of leadership, the more significant that becomes. We lead by example. That means you're not godly because you're a leader. You're a leader because you're godly. It's not like if you're a youth group leader, you think, you know what, I really shouldn't go out and get drunk on Saturday night because I I might lose my position as a leader and you're appointed to the position of a leader because you've demonstrated over a consistent period of time, a faithfulness to obedience to Jesus, where character is seen and measured. Now, you might think to yourself, well, I mean, that's, that's well and good for, for you know, elders or staff members, but this is a pretty high bar. Surely, this is not pertinent to me. I'm not in a position of leadership, so I'm off the hook, right? I'm afraid not, because as you look at the Scriptures... This is really a matter for every single believer, every single person. Have a look at what it says. These qualities are listed everywhere. An elder is called to be self-controlled in 1.8. So all men, in Titus chapter 2, 
verse 2 and verse 6, young and old, are also called to be self-controlled. Or an elder is called to love what is good, chapter 1, verse 8. And so all Christians are called to love and do what is good and to be devoted to doing good. 214, 3-1, 3-8, 3-14, it's everywhere. Elders are to be upright, 1 verse 8. So all people are to live upright and godly lives, 2.12. Or elders are to be blameless. You think, surely this is the one where I get off the hook. Well, in fact, Paul says that his desire for the church in Philippians 1, 9, and 10 is that the church would be blameless. This isn't just for leaders. Leaders ought to exemplify this. This is for every person who follows Jesus. The point is, it doesn't matter who you are, there ought to be no gap between your belief and your behavior. There ought to be integrity. There ought to be consistency. So that's the first way I think this applies to every person. But the second is, that principle actually works itself out in mission because your life is a demonstration that you actually believe what you say you believe. Your life models that. It's a powerful example of the gospel is real. And honestly, there is no one as good as Aussies as snuffing out a phony. We can smell a fake a mile off. So much more important for us, particularly in our culture, where church is pushed to the margins. Titus will go on, Paul will go on to say to Titus that it's actually our godliness that makes the good news attractive. Our character adorns the message that we preach and makes it look good, that people look at it and say, wow, this person actually believes that. God is a God of love, and I can see love in this person. God is a God who is compassion and mercy for the poor and the broken, and I can see that in this church. God is a God who um, speaks life into people, and I can see that in this church. Our character matters, and it matters so much more for those who are in positions of leadership. We ought to be blameless, above reproach in our family and marriages and in our behavior and in our conduct. A number of years ago, my previous church, I was working as a youth pastor, and our lead pastor went on long service leave for 12 weeks, three months, a long time to have no lead pastor. And the very last staff meeting before uh, he went away, he sat us all down as a staff team, and he said to us, now what is the worst thing that could happen while I'm away? And we were all like, kind of, is this, a, is this an exam? Is this a quiz? You know, like... And so we started listing things off. You know, the church building could burn down or uh, someone could preach heresy from the platform while you're away. There's a lot of, you know, other preachers being up there or, um, you know, all of these suggestions. He says was none of those things are the worst thing. The worst thing that happened while I was away is that one or perhaps two of you have an affair. It will decimate and ruin this church. That's true. It's happened at my parents' church last year. Pastor of their church was found to be having an affair, was sacked, fired. The church is left to clean up the mess. The reputation of the church is left in tatters. Character matters for leaders in God's church. So that is the character of a leader. The second thing is the call of a leader. And let me try and put my foot down here and speed up a bit. The call of a leader is this. what are they called to do? What are leaders and specifically elders called to do? Fifteen things about character. The one thing that he is called to do is to be able to teach. Have a look. This is gospel-centered leadership. Verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, 
so he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Leaders in God's church must be word-centered. That's true of every single one of us. Gospel-centered, again, true of all of us. How much more is it true of leadership? We must hold firmly. For what purpose? He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word, verse 9, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also refute those, rebuke those who contradict it. The leaders in God's church, whatever level of leadership you're in, you need to know the scriptures, to be able to teach the scriptures. That's what church is about, right? Elders in God's church need to be able to do that for the sake of the flock, for the whole body. And part of the responsibility that we have as elders is to feed the flock, but also to protect the flock. And so that means from time to time, you will hear us calling out false teaching. You will hear us putting parameters around Christian Orthodox doctrine. Because we want to protect you from being led astray. Because the enemy is like a prowling lion seeking to devour. And there are false teachers who are seeking to drag people away. And that's exactly what's happening here in the book of Titus. And that's why Paul says to him, you have to pick people. You've got to pick elders who get the scriptures, who are soaked in the scriptures, who are gospel-centered, who can protect the flock and shepherd them and care for them well. Leaders need to have a good handle on the word of God that they can silence false teaching, that they could feed and shepherd the flock with the word. That means that biblical literacy is really important for us. You don't need to have a theological degree, but you need to have a bit of a handle on theology to be an elder for us at Anchor Church. Really significant thing. So I hope you see, I mean, this position is a bit scary, right? I mean, James says that teachers of the word will be judged more harshly. That's not something I particularly want to sign on the dotted line quickly towards. Like that's a significant responsibility for myself, for Brad, for Seti, for the, the other pastors and leaders at our church. A famous um, dead preacher said this, Robert Shane McMurray says, The greatest need of my people is my own personal holiness. The greatest need of my people is my own personal holiness. That is as true for them as it is for us at Anchor Church. What you need here at Anchor is for elders, leaders, who would be holy and godly in Christ. Like What we need from Brad and Seti is not cool leaders who you know, wear all the right brands and get all the, the, the latest bands and everything. Like We need leaders who model what it looks like to follow Jesus with holiness and Christ-likeness. That's what, that's what you need. You need me to be on my knees praying, to spend time in the Word, to be pursuing Jesus, to be living a life of integrity and consistency for my belief and behavior to line up. More than anything else, that's what we need. And so I'm going to ask you to pray for us. Pray for us, because this is a significant, significant task for our godliness, our families, our integrity in leadership. Pray for our staff, for Hope, who emceed this morning, for James, for Arnaldo. We need your prayers. We desperately need your prayers. Now, there's an elephant in the room that I haven't addressed, and I'm not going to address, and that is uh, the, the lingering conversation that I've heard has been happening everywhere. What is Matt going to say about women and men in positions of leadership, particularly on eldership? And I don't have time today to address that. Uh, and I've been working so hard. Honestly, I feel like I've been... I, all of Tuesday, I read for eight hours on one verb. 
I kid you not, there is so much research into this and it's absolutely killing me, but it is too important to just roll out some poorly worded, unarticulated policy on that. I need to do it well. But I welcome any questions you have at the AGM today on that. I'm already meeting with people to discuss. Uh, but hopefully in a month's time or so, we'll have a document we can give you guys that articulates really clearly where we stand on, that, some of stu- on, on some of that stuff. But I would ask you to pray and ask you to assess. You've got 30 days for your comments, your feedback, your commendations, your concerns for the three of us to speak into that. So you can send that to myself. Perhaps if you've got concerns about me, I'm going to ask you to send that to the Board of Operations. That might be a better way to to field that conflict of interest there. So you can hit Chris Kwok, our newly appointed chairman up. There's your first responsibility, Chris. You can field all the criticism about me as a leader. Um, But we want you to speak into this. This is a really significant point for, for us. And in 30 days' time, by God's grace, we will lay hands on and appoint some elders for our church. Really, really significant moment for us. So I'm going to pray for us and we're going to respond. Please join me as I pray. Father, we thank you that you're a good God. We thank you that you love our church. God, we pray that we would appoint godly, consistent leaders with integrity. Pray for wisdom for us as we assess both Brad and Seti as prospective elders. Thank you for their humility to put their names forward. Father God, we pray that our church continue to be led by people, both men and women, who would model what it looks like to live a life of integrity where our belief and our behavior line up. Father, we pray that you would protect us. We know that the enemy would seek to destroy what you have been doing here. So protect our leaders, our gospel community leaders, the kids and youth leaders. Help us to pursue Jesus wholeheartedly with all of our life, our soul, our mind, our strength. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.